Hey guys, I wanted to jump on at the top of the episode for a quick chat. I haven't written anything down for this. In retrospect, I definitely should have, but here we are. I know you don't come here for my political opinions and and why should you? But I, I did not publish a new episode last week and I think I should address that. I have learned many things in the last week and a half and one of those things is that not using your voice is is not at all productive. I have an audience here. I'm very fortunate that I have this platform and it would be remiss of me to not use this platform to to talk about something important. It's not enough for us to not be racist. We have to actively be anti-racist. Now, I didn't publish an episode last week and absolutely no disrespect to anyone who shared content last week. I, I mean no disrespect, but I I felt that I needed that time to to learn more. Does that mean I can't do two things at once? Potentially. I I wanted to assure you though, I thought it was important that I let you know that last week wasn't a week off for me. It was a week that I spent researching and reading and learning and acting. I think that last point is really important. Um, it, it was a week that I spent beginning an education that I'm committed to continuing. I say beginning because this this is not going to go away. This is not something that we can, you know, black out a week, dust our hands of it and call it a day. History has has proven that the fact that we are still living the way we are living. I certainly have a lot to learn. If you, I, I don't want this to be a plug, but if you happen to follow me on Instagram, you will have seen that I spent the week researching and sharing resources and actionable items. I think that was that was really important for me because that is certainly the way that I learn. Again, no disrespect um, to people sharing really beautiful, powerful quotes, but I just know myself, I can't look at a quote and then immediately think, okay, yes, this is this is the action that I need to take. So if you do think and work and operate in the same way that I do, I have saved all of those resources and um, actionable items to my Instagram stories so that they are easily accessible going forward, which they need to be. Again, it, it didn't feel productive to share something and have it sit there for 24 hours and then go away because this isn't going away. I I didn't feel right taking up real estate, valuable real estate online last week, space that needed to be held for important conversations in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the subsequent protests and very important conversations that needed to be had. If you have not had a conversation about racism in the last week, I'm sure you all have, but if you haven't, you need to. You need to have more than one and you need to keep having them and they are going to be uncomfortable. But without that discomfort, we can't learn and we can't grow and we can't change. And that is what we all need to do. Um, I'm not sure if anything that I have said here or online has been useful or if it has even made sense but it felt important to me that I share those resources with you and I, I let you know where you can find them I uh, that I promise you that I have acted and will continue to do so I have a lot to learn um I I need to I need to sit uncomfortably with my privilege and I need to I need to keep learning. I've learned a lot in the last week and a bit and, and I um I just wanted to let you know that I am committed to continuing that education. Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal Podcast 
a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Juice Beauty, Karen Benke. Credited by Forbes as being the original pioneer of clean beauty, Karen Benke's career began as a health and wellness entrepreneur in the early 1980s. By the age of 25, Karen had founded two highly successful businesses in the fitness space, one being the first ever corporate wellness business in the United States. However, the bank would not give her a loan unless she were married. Karen explains to me in this conversation that when you're an entrepreneur and you feel that you have a good idea, you blast forward with blind faith. And that is precisely what she did. In 2005, she launched Juice Beauty, one of the world's first organic skincare brands and one that completely quashed the belief that natural products couldn't match the potency of their traditional counterparts. With Karen widely regarded as an innovator across the health, wellness and beauty spaces, it made perfect sense that when Gwyneth Paltrow was looking to develop skincare under her Goop brand, and find a clean, organic colour cosmetics range, it was Karen and the Juice Beauty team that she chose to work with. A collaboration between Karen, Gwyneth and their respective companies. 2016 saw the launch of both Goop by Juice Beauty and Juice Beauty's Phyto Pigment Collection, a clean yet very luxurious line of colour cosmetics born out of Karen and Gwyneth's wish for makeup that cared for the skin in the same way that their skincare does. Gwyneth was also appointed Juice Beauty's creative director of makeup, a role she held for three years, with Karen and Gwyneth remaining shareholders in one another's companies today. Now, Karen tells me that Juice Beauty's focus is on returning to its roots. Time is being spent researching and continuing to innovate at the Juice Beauty farm, with the brand working towards converting the entire farm to organic and continuing to improve upon their existing sustainability initiatives. This episode was recorded remotely, myself being in Australia and Karen in the US, so if you would prefer to read the interview or read along with this recording, you can find the complete episode transcript on glowjournal.com. In this conversation, Karen shares her biggest advice for those looking to fund a startup how Juice Beauty managed to colour their entire makeup collection using plant pigments, and the secrets of the green apple peel that put the brand on the map. I know that you have always been quite athletic and you were certainly an athlete growing up, so I imagine you have always had something of an interest in health and wellness, but can you recall your very first memory of beauty specifically? Well, given my age, my first memory of beauty was looking at Cher, actually <sighs> on TV. You probably don't even know who she is. Of course but- I do. Oh, you Iconic. Do? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was my, you know, because I was born with jet black hair. That was my absolute idol. And so that was my, my first like image of beauty because she had jet black hair like I did. But, um, but then it was at the Clinique counter and, you know, all those things in, in high school. So, God, if I had a dollar for every person who had said it was their Clinique three-step, was their introduction <laughs> to skincare, I'd be going into very early retirement. But that's the first right. time I've had Cher as an answer, which is fantastic. Probably, probably because you interview younger people. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's a, she's a timeless icon and she's, she, really, she doesn't she seem really to be is. aging, which is great. Good on Yeah, her. well, not sure how she does that, but we'll leave it. We'll leave oh, it at that. <laughs> yeah, one of the many mysteries of the world. Yes. So when you were younger, apart from looking up to Cher, what did you think you might be when you grew up? Well, you know, I grew up in a small town, so um, if you, for for girls in my high school, even though it were, I don't know, it was after Title IX and everything, but still, which is a legislation in in the U.S., um, if you did well in science and math, which I did, you were you either went into health education or you became a nurse. And I, my bachelor's degree is in health education, and then if you did well in English, you became a teacher. So that was really all that was in our horizon at that time. And so um, right after I graduated from college, I 
moved to California for all the reasons that have nothing to do with uh, career. It was sun, fun, boys, et cetera, skiing. <laughs> and, but I quickly realized that I could do a lot out here. It was kind of the land of entrepreneurial you know, opportunities. Mm-hmm. I understand that it was while you were studying at Western Michigan University that you became a vegetarian. Now, I know there's a bit of a story here. Yeah. Can you talk me through that time? Yeah, you know, it was um, actually in high school and in the early 70s, and I was, it was younger when I was in high school, but it, th- this, this disaster went all the way through high school and almost to 1980 when I um, left there. And it was the largest uh, PBB, poly, uh, polybrominated biphenyl, I believe, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, PBB spill in, the, in North America. And uh, there, there was a chemical spill and it got into the feed of cattle and chickens. And so, you know, it was kind of a rural area where I, I grew up, a small Midwestern town. And <clears throat> all of a sudden, when we were driving around and things, you would see cattle, um, <clears throat> excuse me, cattle lying dead on the roadside and chickens tremoring and everything. And let's take a really, really awful, awful chemical spill. And Emory University is still studying that at that area um, and turn it to the positive, which I will in a minute, but it really was one of the worst chemical spills ever. And they then fast forward to the late seventies, they were still, uh, the researchers were still drawing blood on all the campuses to see how much PBB was running through all of our veins. Um, long story short, apparently it was, it lasted in, in Michigan residence quite long. And, um, trains going by, um, the, it it had a huge impact on me in that first I became an an environmentalist very early on. And that was when I read Rachel Carson's book, which she single-handedly got, you know, DDT off, off of, off the earth and was just a phenomenal um, scientist. But uh, secondly, I became a vegetarian and in kind of the heart of the Midwest, that is not a popular thing to do um, at all because, uh, you know, when you're dating and everything and you try to go out and everything, people don't want to know that you're a vegetarian in the Midwest. So it was kind of funny. And I have uncles that are cattle farmers. So you can imagine how popular I was, but I was not popular at all with that. (laughs) But um, anyway, it just, you know, I, I stopped. Uh, I just, I didn't want all the PBB, but then I started reading more about plant-based diets. And, you know, later I opened it up to eggs and, and I, I certainly love cheese and, and um, some seafood, but, but I was, I kind of went pretty strict for a while, but it it really, you know, that had such an impact on me from an environmental um, point of view, a health point of view, and just every aspect of it. It really spurred on, one of the things that spurred on my health and wellness interest. Did it prompt you to start looking at other parts of health and wellness too? Obviously, you've mentioned a few things there that it did change for you. But is that when you started to look at what you were putting on your skin or did that come a bit later? Not only later, like later, later, 20 years later. So I was really focused on fitness and nutrition at the time. And that's when I moved to California and I started um, Get Fit Aerobics. I can't believe you even found that name. (laughs) But um, because that was in the early 1980s and I ended up getting the army contract for Northern California. So um, I I taught so many aerobics exercise classes a day and it was in the era of uh, Jane Fonda. If you another icon, I met her last year. It was oh, Oh, you did. Oh my gosh, she's unbelievable. She she really is. Well, you know, when she came to San Francisco to teach an aerobics class for teachers, I thought I was going to die with her. (laughs) You know, her uh, leg warmers and her striped leotards and the belt and all that. It's just awesome, great fashion. But um, you know, that was that really got my um, that was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. And I, you know, teaching a million classes a day, having shin splints, every aspect of my lower legs, but uh, I really fell in love with business and then wanted to expand it to the entire kind of wellness arena of nutrition, fitness, uh, stress management, mental health, et cetera. Still never thought anything about my skin though. But, and then I started one of the first corporate wellness companies in the country. Incredible. I would love to spend a little bit more time on that first kind of business endeavor because you were only 22, 23 when you found it. Very young. It's unbelievable. This is one of my favorite stories that came up when I was researching you. I read that the bank would only give you 
a business loan if you had a husband to sign off on that loan. That's, so that's you had to open very, up something to the tune of 17 credit cards. That's, I can't believe you, read, that's very, that's very true. So with Get Fed Aerobics, there was really no um, startup capital. Mm-hmm. So because I, I, I could just pay a percent of the um, classes to the gym and it was on government property and all that. So, but when I expanded to my corporate wellness company, that's when I started, you know, bought bands and we went to, to, to the corporate work site and um, did health education programs and body fat testing and all those types of things. And that's when I needed capital. And I was about 25 when I started the corporate wellness program. Wow. And um, yes, I, I wrote an extensive business plan, even was accepted to the business plan um, contest by Stanford. Oh and they, yeah, they, um, a, a class would really vet your business plan and et cetera. So I had a pretty tight plan and I started going around to the banks and they did all tell me that it was a great idea. And if I would just bring my husband in to sign, it would all be fine. And so every time I'd walk out and I'd look around, I think I have to rent a husband, you know, <laughs> so clearly I need to rent one. But because um, I didn't get married until my late 30s. So, um, so yeah, that was the first, um, first uh, endeavor with, uh, with banks. And so you couldn't do this now, but back when um, the internet wasn't there, uh, you could open, I, op- I figured out if I opened as many credit cards as I could, and I got mm-hmm. to the count of 17 and quit. I opened 17 credit cards all in one day. And ended up with a two to 3,000 line of credit with each of them. And that's, you know, $1,985 or something. So it was a lot of money back then. And I juggled all those credit cards as my first uh, line of credit. It was crazy. It was legal. Maybe. I don't know if it was or <laughs> Maybe. not. Maybe. <laughs> You've survived. Sure. It's all good. <laughs> I survived. <laughs> we'll just make sure this recording stays in the right hands and it'll be all good. It'll be fine. Yeah. Ooh. It's funny that, I mean, you had to go through all of that and then it was in 1987 that you won San Francisco's Woman Entrepreneur Entrepreneur, sorry, of the Year Award. That's right. I understand that during your speech you, you told that story and you talked about how difficult it had been to secure funding initially for your business and then after the speech another woman approached you and said, come to my office tomorrow, I can help you secure a loan. I would love to hear more about that time and the fact that you finally secured that funding thanks to another woman in business. That's exactly right. I, you know, it was a, a jam-packed ballroom um, in San Francisco in Union Square, and I was getting the Woman Entrepreneur of the Year Award from from uh, then Mayor Diane Feinstein, who's now uh, Senator Feinstein, mm-hmm. and um, it was great. And I did tell the story. And after we're about banking and after Wanda Alfaro, who's retired now, and she ran the largest uh, Bank of America branch on the corner of Mission and Market in San Francisco. And she came up and she said, come see me tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So so she set me up with my first line of credit. So, and we had a, until she retired, we had a great relationship until she retired. Amazing. How good are women? Yes, they're awesome. (laughs) What would be, obviously, you know, things are a little different now. I don't think we can open 17 credit cards, but what would your advice be to anyone who is looking to secure funding for a startup now? Well, you know, funding for a startup, you you really have to, here's, you know, when I started um, my, well, let's back up. When I had nothing to my name with my um, aerobics company and my wellness company. So it was a quite a different situation. When I started Juice Beauty, I had already had successful businesses. I'd been on mm. several boards. So I raised the money in tw- the first round in about 24 hours. But I, wow. I was very careful though. I went to people that um, I knew well, that I'd worked with, that um, were mission driven, that would, would share some portion of my mission. And that was super important to me because I didn't want just money. I wanted people that were passionate about my mission. And then lastly, I went to people that um, were of high net worth because I didn't want at this stage in life to, or at that stage in life, to worry about someone not making their mortgage payment or something. So those were kind of my criteria. So, but fast forward, I'd earned that right over, you know, 20 some years of, um, because I'd had a lot of business success, but um, what I tell people now is because people will come to me and say, how can I raise money? And, and my first piece of advice is put your own money in first. I don't care if you have a thousand dollars or a million dollars, put it, put your money in first because you, you have to be the lead investor and you, you have to be at least put up as much as you possibly can because then people will trust you. 
And if you don't trust yourself, why, why even start it? So, mm-hmm. so that's my biggest advice. And, and then to try to go to people that you've worked with and more business acquaintances. Um, you know, some friends and family are fine, but it's hard to mix, um, I think, in, in money and friends and family sometimes, although my business is all mixed up with my family. But <laughs> I, didn't, um, I didn't go to family members to raise money ever. Such good advice. Having founded two highly successful businesses so young, being Get Fit and ExecuFit, what were some of the biggest learnings from having those businesses and having them so young? Was there anything in particular that you learned during that time that you find you're still applying to your work now? Well, I think the positive of starting businesses young or being an entrepreneur and entrepreneur young is you don't know what you don't know. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it's awesome because you, you have no idea that you're taking a lot of risks and, um, you know, that you're sticking your neck out and sometimes making a fool of, fool of yourself. Mm-hmm. You just don't even know, nor do you really care most of the time. So at least I didn't. And so that's the benefit of it. Um, and I always thought, what's the worst that could happen? Because I wasn't, I didn't, ha- I didn't have kids so much later. So the worst that could happen to me was I would have to go get a corporate job. So um, that didn't seem that bad to me, or I'd have mm. to go teach health somewhere or something, <laughs> health education. So that, that wasn't, you know, it, w- nobody was pushing me off a cliff. So that's what I always um, thought about. But I, I think... Um, one of the things that I listen, I, I, a lesson that I learned over and over and over is to listen to your gut. I mean, you certainly want to have all the intellectual data you can surround yourself with the smartest people, but you really never want to ignore those gut feelings because every time I do, um, I get into trouble. And, um, my, now my husband will say, you know, I can't believe you did that because you kept saying you're worried about it. And he'll remind me that I, you know, early on said, Oh, I don't know if this is the right decision. And, and uh, oftentimes if my gut is telling me no, but I go ahead and do it because of some intellectual whatever, um, it, you know, it, it backfires. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, what's the worst that can happen? I think that's absolutely spot on. Blind yeah, optimism yeah. and naivety are very powerful tools, as it turns out. And, and being poor. When you, you know, yeah. One of my first, uh, my first uh, few businesses, uh, my, my first and my second, I was, uh, when I started my first and then I put all my money into my second. So I was poor in the beginning and poor a second time because I really came from very humble beginnings. <laughs> what have you got to lose, really? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So if we fast forward a little bit, it was when you were pregnant with your first child that you began to really start examining your cosmetics labels. Now you already obviously had an understanding of health and wellness and a lot of the pieces of that puzzle, but what you were putting on your skin, you've mentioned came much later. What were some of your biggest findings? Well, you know, so I was really into nutrition and fitness and yoga and all those things, but really it wasn't until I was pregnant with my babies in my early forties that I just, I stopped dead in my tracks um, one day and I was slathering things all over my body and my belly and, and I suddenly read a label. And at that point um, with my wellness company, I had worked with Stanford and Berkeley and a lot of leading researchers. So I knew a lot about ingredients um, in food. And I couldn't believe when I was reading um, way back then, it was methylbutyl and propylparabens, which I knew were being studied for being carcinogenic. I knew there were some ingredients in there that were uh, lead-based. There was a lot of formaldehyde, um, synthetic dyes and synthetic fragrance. And it was just coming out then that synthetic fragrance particularly are endocrine disruptors. Mm. Endocrine disruptors can be carcinogens. So, um, you know, in synthetic fragrance, perfume, all of that is in everything. It's in our mascara, it's in our lipstick. Of course it's in perfume, but it's in everything. So um, when I started reading all of this, I thought, oh my God. And I really stopped dead in my tracks and started putting organic olive oil on my belly, which worked by the way. And um, so I, and then I went on a desperate search for luxurious products to, because I was really into skincare. I was never really into makeup that much, but I was really Mm -hmm. into skincare. And I went on a desperate search to find products that were luxurious yet worked. And I really found very little. And so that was in my early 40s, and I was on a couple boards and consulting. Fast forward uh, to my late 40s, that's when I bought the name Juice Beauty. I thought about it that whole time. It came up with a premise on how I wanted to formulate, 
and then bought the name Juice Beauty, which fit my, pre my, my premise of filling with organic botanical juices perfectly. And that was uh, um, in 2005 when I started the company. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that did come up in my digging that you had the name Juice Beauty in your head for quite some time and you were sort of just sitting on it for a little while before you actually launched the business. What prompted that? Why do you think Juice Beauty popped into your head? Do you think it was woman's intuition? And Well, it wasn't so much the name that popped into my head as is, is it was the formulation aspect. Uh -huh. And so if you, um, I really spent a lot of time researching um, formulations, basically. And my husband is, is actually involved in the business now. We can circle back to that. He's never been involved in the business other than completely supporting me and figuring, you know, thinking about it 24-7. He's a cardiologist. But as oh, a amazing. scientist, I, I kept saying to him, uh, yelling out, you know, day, night, whatever, and going, oh, my God, you mean this is how conventional chemical brands formulate? They start with butylene and propylene glycols and, and then put powerful ingredients into it. But a lot of petroleum derivatives and things that are laced with dioxane and things, and but but the products work often because they put very powerful ingredients into it. And then I was looking at natural products that start with water, and put some ingredients in it, and they're very dilute, and, and they didn't have a reputation of working as mm. as being as uh, efficacious. So I became obsessed with organic botanical juices, and I thought, what if we start out with grapeseed and aloes and shays and ahobas and filled with that first not thinking how expensive it would be, of course. <laughs> and uh, so we would start out with vitamin-rich, antioxidant-rich base. And then we added uh, vegetable hyaluronic acid mm. or olive-derived squalene or rice peptides or things like that to make it even more powerful that every organic drop would feed your skin. And that's the premise that I became obsessed with and talked to a lot of scientists and a lot of manufacturers and, and then um, when I decided I wanted to get going, then I started searching names. And when Juice Beauty came up as a trademark name, um, I was like, that's what I need. So, um, and I bought the name and started from scratch. So overpaid for the name, by the way. <laughs> Worth it, I think. So that was 2005. You had clearly identified a gap. You'd been thinking about what you wanted to do for quite some time. Where to from there? How did you go about finding a manufacturer, sourcing packaging, deciding what you would launch with? There's a lot to it. There is a lot to it. And, you know, I did hire a couple of consultants and I, I started knocking on doors with um, manufacturers and really no one wanted to work with me because they kept saying, we either use petroleum or we use water. And I, all your crazy juice, forget it already. We need a freezer and blah, blah, blah. So finally, I found a manufacturer and scientist that would work with me if I bought a freezer. And so I'm like, fine, I'll buy a freezer, you know. And so we were off to the races with that. But it was very, very difficult in the beginning. The juices were separating. They would turn colors. They, because I wanted to use natural food grade preservatives. Mm. Uh, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And, but uh, we just uh, persisted to today where we have just luxurious um, uh, products that really um, you can't tell when you are putting, for instance, our stem cellular CC cream mm -hmm. on your skin. You can't, you, you know, we have mimicked the feel of silicones and dimethicones with grapeseed and coconut alkane. And, you know, the zinc, the zinc just melts in. Just, it's not chemical sunscreen, but it melts in. You know, we tint it. It just, you know, so we've been able to really um, mimic that luxury that comes from a lot of synthetics um, and things that you don't want, either in your body or in animals or on the planet. And we've made it, you know, that was my goal to make it, make it as luxurious, but to meet or exceed conventional chemical efficacy. You've absolutely succeeded in that. <laughs> they do feel so luxurious. I'll include links to all of my Thank favorites you. in here. Although Juice Beauty really does sit within wellness in a wider sense, it was still yes. a bold move to transition from fitness over to beauty. Did that present many challenges beyond having <laughs> to buy a freezer? Yes. Um, again, I can't, I could no longer say I was young and naive because <laughs> I was in my late 40s, but I was still just, I don't know, something about being an entrepreneur, you just blast forward if you think you have a good idea. And it's that blind faith. And here was a conversation with my, my husband, honest to God. 
and he's very supportive. He said, wait a minute, you're telling me you're leaving being a highly paid consultant in private equity to just find, you know, health and wellness deals. You're on a bunch of boards, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you're going to put a ton of money into Juice Beauty and start all over from scratch again and be an entrepreneur. And our kids are, um, you know, eight and 10 or, or uh, six and eight or something. And I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> Why not? So, yeah, he said, okay, all right, fine. You know, <laughs> so um, it was just that crazy, uh, you know, I said, the, the market needs this. I know we can do well. And, and that was it. And I just blasted forward, but I knew nothing about um, uh, packaging. And I knew a lot about ingredients. I knew a lot about what we wanted to do. I knew a lot about science. I knew a lot of scientists, but I knew nothing about packaging in the beauty industry. Mm. I think this is why it takes so long to bring really beautiful products to life because it's one thing to have the great idea, but there's so many different elements that then come into play. There, there are, and we'll be 15 in July. So, you know, Cosmo and Elle and Forbes are calling this an OG. And we did pioneer a lot of things. And it took a while for, for consumers to, um, you know, accept that mm. these types of products were um, good for you, but also could work better. And we're also great for the planet. So it, it did take a while. So it was kind of, you know, it was step by step building, but we did build and, and escalated step by step for the first seven or eight years. And then we've grown uh, much more dramatically in the last, you know, six or seven years. Well, I did want to ask you about that because I feel like today the natural beauty category really has reached mainstream popularity, but 2005 was such a different time for beauty, for digital, for a whole number of things that come into play when you're launching a business now. So what was that reception like when Juice Beauty first launched? You mentioned it took a bit of time, but how was it sort of day one? Well, the conversations and, you know, there was conventional chemical and natural, and then we were going in, we were pioneering organic beauty. Mm. So the conversations were, huh? Well, I already have natural. And I'm like, no, no, no. When you go into a grocery store, think about, you know, there's a pile of green apples and a pile of green apples and one say natural, conventional, or conventional or natural grown and one say organic. What's the difference that people say, Oh, um, one's grown without pesticides, you know, and organic farming to protect the earth and to protect humans. I'm like, exactly. Those are the ingredients we use. We use those ingredients to not only protect humans, but to, but to protect the earth. And it's been shown in many studies that organically farmed ingredients have, can have up to, um, a 20, 30% higher antioxidant level than conventionally farmed ingredients. So you're getting a higher concentration, hopefully, of free radical, you know, attacking um, greatness. And I think, you know, that's one reason why our clinicals that, um, you know, outside clinical labs that measure the efficacy of our products have stacked up so well against mm. conventional chemical efficacy because, you know, those, those organic ingredients pack a punch. They really do. Which products did you launch with? Well, I'll talk about one of our heroes, our green apple peel. Oh, good. And I wanted to ask of, about this. This is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that was one of our first hero products. And we launched with a basic cleansing milk and, um, you know, a mist and, and, a, and some moisturizers and a tinted, a tinted uh, um, SPF using zinc. But I won't even tell you the zinc in 2005 was, does not feel like the zinc in 2020. No. It was a little heavier, a little heavier, but um, now it's just luxurious. But um, so our green apple peel was really a cult favorite from day one. And, you know, it was the power of organic fruit acids. And, you know, it's a, it's a mask. You put it on as a mask. And on your face, neck, decollete, I use the tops of my hands as a palette. And then I just, I use, I mean, really, if you use the tops of your hands as a palette for everything, for your masks, your peels, your moisturizers, that will really help where some of the first signs of aging appears, which is the tops of your hands. So Why have I never thought um, to do this? Yes, just use, and I, you probably can't see, but my driving hand, because I'm right-handed, I'm always putting everything uh -huh. in my left hand is in a lot better shape than my right hand, which should be in better shape. I mean, the joys yes. of low resolution recording is that they both look like the hands of a 21 year old. So you're fine. Thank you. I love that. I love that. But um, so a face neck decollete, you leave it on at, in the evening for 10, 
15, however long you can tolerate it, um, some tingling and some redness is fine. It is a powerful peel. It's a spa grade peel. We have full strength and we have sensitive um, in Australia. And then you wash it off with warm water. Full strength is beta and alpha hydroxy acids, which are going to go deeper. Alpha um, are sensitive are alpha hydroxy acids. If you're not sure, start with the sensitive and move on up to the full strength later. Of course, there are no um, acid peels that are good for people with redness or rosacea. Mm. So they should use other products of ours. But um, that really, because, you know, first of all, a couple stories, I would go around to the magazines in New York, you know, all the beautiful, well-known magazines. And they would say in the beginning, and they'd say, you know, Karen, I know you had some success in fitness, but really organic beauty, is this going to be a thing? I mean, I know the ingredients are good for us, but, and I would leave our full strength peel and I'd say, just try this. And they all expected that it would fall off your face or that it would do nothing. And they would inevitably write me and say, oh my God, that's <laughs> powerful. And it really helped get past the efficacy kind of um, do these really work, you know? Mm. So, and then uh, something else happened. Kate Hudson, who's just near and dear to our heart, <sighs> wrote, wrote about our green apple peel in 2007 and 2008 in Harper's and, and um, Elle magazine. And you would have thought we won the lottery when she did that. <laughs> we were jumping up. There were maybe five of us. They were jumping up and down and it was very exciting. And then um, we've, you know, developed a relationship over the years, but she was very helpful in getting our name out there. So it was very exciting. Oh, that's amazing. I'm not surprised that that was the first sort of cult product because that was the first of your products that I tried. And it, right. it just completely quashes that I mean, it's it's not really a belief now, but it certainly used to be that natural products were just kind of nice smelling waters. That's right. That's a, and it got over that that hump. Mm. And our green apple peel also bridges a gap between blemish clearing and age defy. It's really for everyone. Mm. Um, as of course, our stem cellular collection is more for age defy. Our blemish clearing collection is obviously more skincare for blemish clearing, oil control. But the green apple peel really spans all um, generations and all skin types mm. um, other than again rosacea or redness <laughs> yes that's a that's always a tricky one yeah someone else who has undoubtedly been instrumental in really popularizing popularizing sorry the natural beauty movement is Gwyneth Paltrow no yes just a, our business some, partner Gwyneth it's just yes. a small up and coming name that people may <laughs> or may not have heard of you have worked really extensively with Gwyneth and with the group team on a few different things but I would love to start with phytopigments Gwyneth joined Juice Beauty as makeup creative director in around 2006 and remained in that role for three or so years, working with you to launch the Phytopigments range, which is your first... I think 2000, 2016. 2016, sorry. Yeah. The, your first kind of foray into real colour cosmetics. What led you to launch a colour range and what drew Gwyneth to the brand? Well, you know, the idea for makeup really came from our customers mm -hmm. because, and it started with our blemish clearing customers. They, I, I was, I, I, well, not right now, we're not in the stores, but I spend a lot of time in the stores talking with customers all over the country, all over the world, really. Mm. And um, I love listening to them because they give us honest feedback and they give me ideas and they really inspire me. And so what um, happened is I started talking to a lot of our blemish customers as well as our HFI and they'd say, okay, great. Now you cleared my skin or you're helping with my lines and wrinkles, but I don't have any foundation to wear because now you've set the standard for me. My skin can breathe. It's not occluded. It feels fresh. I'm glowing. And then I put on, you know, XYZ foundation that's loaded in petroleum and synthetic it counteracts blah, blah, blah. all of this hard work that you're doing. Right. Right. And I'm putting all this lipstick and now mm. you told me what I'm eating. And, you know, mm. and so, um, so that's what it was really bothering me. And um, again, as a non-makeup junkie, it was bothering me. I'm a skincare junkie. So, um, so, but I became obsessed with it and we started thinking about it, but I thought, you know, a lot of brands don't do well, skincare brands going into makeup and vice versa. Mm. Um, they're not accepted. So I thought if we had someone that was authentically real, um, celebrity, but authentically stood behind this, it would be great. And one of my board members said, well, I know Gwyneth Paltrow and I'd be so happy casual. <laughs> oh. 
Um, I'd be happy to introduce you. So that was that. And I think over, I'm trying to think, everyone always asks what we were eating. I think it was a seafood salad and a glass of wine or something. Amazing. And over a seafood salad and a glass of wine, we decided to work together. And, you know, we had a little bit, a little bit, not a lot. She's, you know, a totally different blonde and five, God knows what. She's so tall. Um, but, um, you know, we both have a son and a daughter. We both have um, parents that, um, you know, dads that had died of from uh, her dad smoking, my dad, uh, cigarettes, my dad smoking, chain smoking cigars and things. And so we had a lot in common that we, mm. and we also wanted to um, have products that worked and that made us feel luxurious, but that didn't um, compromise our health or our, our kids' health or animals or the planet. So we shared all that in common. And she wanted products that would stand up for her on the red carpet and under lights and things. And so that's what we set out to do. And I, I in a moment of insanity, we came out with 75 products in one year and um, it I've, almost killed everybody I've around you. I read that and I nearly it. fell off my chair. I knew it was a lot of products, yeah. but 75. Yeah. Oh. It, yeah. It was insane. And a very small team. I can't even tell you. Oh. It was a very, yeah. But we did it. Survived and, it. Um, we survived and we did it. And, you know, we, um, kudos to Gwyneth. I mean, kudos to our chemists that the products were great. Mm. Kudos to Gwyneth that uh, people um, trusted her um, taste. Yeah. And they, they know she has beautiful, beautiful taste. And so that um, was very helpful with mm. people thinking, oh, well, Gwyneth is wearing it. I can wear it, you know. Mm. So she she was she was a great she is a great partner was a great. But we used to work more closely together when she was our creative director, which was three years, and now we're shareholders in one another's company. And I love that. Um, yeah, so very supportive of of uh, her and Goop. <laughs> Amazing. Now that that huge collection that you work together, I still <laughs> can't wrap my head around it. The the Phyto Pigments collection gets its pigment from plants plants in as much or as little detail as you wish because i imagine you know there's (laughs) quite a lot to it how how does it get the pigment from plants it's remarkable well we crush roses and we we only use sustainable farms i mean like this healdsburg lip crayon is a great example um and that will be launching in mecca with the stem cellular vinifera oil i think in the fall but um, named after our farm, by the way. But um, these bright colors are phenomenal. And these bright colors actually came from me thinking about the fall harvest in, mm. in Healdsburg and Sonoma County because there's so many bright reds and hues and, and pinks. And it was just, it's just a gorgeous depiction of that. Um, but we crush roses. We cut, crush Eclipta Daisy. We, we crush for our mascara. We crush the deep black and argon husks. Mm. And then we also extract uh, the purple from purple carrot to get the wow. deep black and mascara, as well as our liquid liner. And um, we put henna in our liquid liner for a little color and a little stay. Um, but yeah, so everything you're eating, you're eating sustainably sourced uh, plant pigments and not synthetic dyes because we, we don't believe in them. Amazing. So that color launch, big year, that color launch took place in January of 2016. And then Correct. a couple of months later in March, if my research serves me, Goop by Juice Beauty was launched, which is Goop's Correct. own skincare line, obviously created in collaboration with your brand. Yeah. Unbelievable. Where does the Goop line differ from the signature Juice Beauty line? Well, it's, it's, it's very similar technology. We developed Goose by, Goop by Juice Beauty products, um, and it was designed to really be a capsule collection for Gwyneth for a limited period of time. So um, I think there's still, you know, some of the products uh, still selling on Goop, and they're, they're just beautiful, beautiful products with um, uh, an, an amazing flower technology as a base of them. And But it's our basic um, chemistry that we... We work with, you know, with uh, organic botanical juices and active um, plant and nature ingredients to really kill it with efficacy. I shouldn't say kill it, to really <laughs> nail it, nail it with efficacy. <laughs> I just love that it was started off as a limited edition capsule collection and three and a bit years on, it's still selling. Incredible. Yeah, it is. Yes. I would love to hear more about the collaborative process. How did you and the group team work together to develop 
I mean, everything that we've just really touched on? Well, it, um, it was really Gwyneth and our um, and a few few people from Goop, but Gwyneth really led led the creative process, and um, it was our chemists. And for instance, we would um, bring the concepts and the ingredients and the base formulas to her, and for all of the in a various color palette, and she would narrow down the color palette. Uh, to the colors that she really thought would 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 do well and sell and that she loved, and then she went through. She named every single product. So for our blush, it was Last Looks blush. So Last Looks after what the director calls um, on the set when they're about when the camera's about ready to roll and they come back in for a little um, blush touch up. Mm-hmm. And she named our liquid lip after she curated them after her friends. So there's Kate, Cameron, Drew. Um, Apple, a daughter, uh, Gwyneth, Blythe, and um, I'm forgetting one. Yikes. Anyway, Reese. <laughs> we'll yes. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Reese. Yeah. And so, and if you look at those colors, you could probably see how that fits the, the name. Mm. So it's, it's, it's really fun. So she spent a lot of time and then naming our lip crayons after um, California beaches and so um, she was very creative in that process. Our chemists, of course, did all of the development and the formulations and all the ingredients. And but she, Gwyneth, did all of the uh, finishing touches with color palettes and kind of the final slip and feel and 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 the naming of it and and really helped design all the packaging and and, and really every. She was amazing. I love hearing that because I think. It's almost, it shouldn't be, but it's almost commonplace now with kind of celebrity collaborations, if you will, to just pick a formula off the shelf and then their name goes onto it. But I get the feeling that this is... That would have been easier. Yeah, oh, without a <laughs> doubt. But this feels about as authentic as it gets. It was very authentic, mm. yes. What- I mean, the mascara, we went through so many rounds and you know there were some things where, um, you know, uh, I, I can't think of anything in particular, but oh, for like our, our, our concealer, um, Gwyneth wanted it to swirl a few times before it loosened up the plant pigments, and I I was happy with you know not swirling a couple of times, but it was fine. We, you know, we, it was it was all good, but we both drove everyone crazy with the phytopigments <laughs> mascara. I mean, I thought our chemists were going to kill both of us because we kept sending them back. It was like not staying on the lashes enough. Not are you kidding me? This is the wrap the bad rap that natural mascaras get. No, 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 no. We finally got a formula that we both absolutely fell in love with. And that was, that was the hardest to, um, to formulate. From everything that I've heard and read, mascaras are always going to be the hard, the, mascaras and sunscreens are the hard ones. Yes, very hard. <laughs> but worth the, um, all of the pain yes. and effort, <laughs> blood, sweat and tears. Yes. What do you, I I feel like I know what you're going to say, but what do you believe is the key to a successful collaboration? Um, well, I mean, certainly if you're collaborating with an A-list celebrity, you have to have all your ducks in a row. And with, with, the, um, with the formulation process, we would show up at her house or her office with complete palettes and complete ingredient stories. And, you know, we were prepared. So... Um, I think that is that is uh, absolutely key. Mm-hmm. So um, to make it easy for for someone of um, of her stature, so um, that was that was critical. Mm-hmm. It would be remiss of me to not briefly touch on the current health crisis we obviously find mm-hmm. ourselves in the midst of, given that stores are closed just about yeah. everywhere. And it is presenting a new list of challenges for those who are looking to start their own business, whether that is in the beauty space or elsewhere. You and obviously Juice Beauty survived the 2008 stock market crash and subsequent recession. So what would your advice be to anyone who is looking at potentially launching a brand in the current climate? Yeah, the COVID times, they're they're really hard. And of course, you know, we want a vaccine out. We want everyone to get back to normal. Um, that, as- <clears throat> that aside, I think use it to your advantage. You know, take the time and really use to how you can reinvent a little bit or work on the areas that need to be worked on. With, with us, we're expanding our marketing team. We're um, really focused more on digital now. 
and we're doing so well on mecca.au. Uh, Is it mecca.au? On the meccas.com site, mecca.au, yeah. right? It's, I think for us, it's mecca.com and it automatically directs us to the Australian to website, AU. but I okay. think over... Mecca.com. I'll figure it out okay. and I'll put it in the notes. I think in the US it goes mecca.com.au, I believe. Quite <laughs> but, possibly. Um, anyway, on Mecca's website, um, we are doing so well mm. uh, because we, you know, we shifted to telling more stories and, you know, working with people like you and, and which is a lot of fun, by the way. Um, and so that's been critical. You know, we, we didn't talk much about the Juice Beauty Farm, but we can in a minute. But, you know, doing live streamings right now, I'm in the office, but doing live streamings from Juice Beauty Farm and, and really taking advantage of um, where does your business need to be shored up and what can you do more and what's the future going to hold in this no touch environment? Mm. I mean, we're used to being in stores touching people like Matt. Of course. So, um, you know, doing mini facials and doing makeovers and all those things. So it, it's, we've spent a lot of time um, thinking and coming up with ways that we can do well in the future in this new world. Mm. Let's talk about the Juice Beauty Farm. I would love to hear more about it because it's, it's a pretty incredible. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's so exciting. Well, you know, I wanted to make sure, um, you know, we spent a lot of wonderful, you know, years with, with uh, focused on the phytopigments makeup and Gwyneth being our creative director, but I wanted to make sure that we got back to our roots mm-hmm. and that, um, and that people really knew the authenticity of our brand. We're a Northern California brand. We are, you know, very close to our organic farmers. We are uh, manufactured in the U.S. We buy most of our ingredients from North America. Um, and we still buy a lot of ingredients from a ton of farmers. Our organic green apples from Washington State all the way down with our pomegranate into the Valley of California, et cetera. But um, I, I, the Juice Beauty Farm is going on, gosh, is it two years now? I think it's been just two years. And we really wanted a place that would scream our brand. So like Gemma, next time you come to Northern California, you will absolutely be our guest. And when you stay at our sustainable organic farmhouse, which is sustainable and organic from top to bottom, sleeping on organic mattresses and sheets and drinking out of recycled glasses and drinking our Juice Beauty wine, et cetera. We don't sell, but you know, and- um, It's for the VIPs. It's for the VIPs, that's right. Um, we want you to feel like you just dove into a Juice Beauty bottle from top to bottom. So it's a 20-acre vineyard. We have beautiful um, all sorts of grapes. We have um, hundreds of olive trees. And we're about two-thirds of the way of converting it to organic. So we will eventually be sourcing all aspect of our grape and olive there. And right now, um, we're doing a lot of research, a lot of science on the farm to really grow um, the super of superest grapes known to humankind for the skin. And, uh, but it's a stunning place also to relax and to um, entertain our retailers, our social media contacts and our PR um, contacts and, our, and for our employees. Um, the first year was awesome with entertaining. Going into this summer, obviously. It's- Things are looking a little different. <laughs> Looking a little different during COVID times, but we'll figure it out. I will absolutely so. be taking you up on that offer. And you may yeah, never get should. rid of me. That may be that may be it Nobody forever. Nobody wants to leave. <laughs> I'm telling you, people don't want to leave there. It does not surprise me. You have been part of the beauty industry for 15 years now and obviously part of the wellness landscape for even longer. What are the biggest changes you have seen within the beauty industry over that time? Well, I think there's more, I mean, certainly growing acceptance for um, individual brands or indie brands or, you know, independent brands. Certainly, certainly. Um, I mean, and everyone thinks they're having their moment now with uh, natural, clean, et cetera. They've had their moment. It's been growing and growing and growing. In 2006, 2007, there was an explosion of natural brands and then the recession took it down. So it took a while for them to come back, but it's it's not the first time that this, this has surged. But but every time, you know, um, this, this, it, the whole movement um, furthers, which is exciting. There is, it escalates. So, um, so it, that's been very exciting. I think, um, you know, I've seen as it, the, the downside of that is as, the, you know, consumers become more aware 
of ingredients and they become more discerning and they become smarter about ingredients, which is an awesome movement. Um, you do sometimes see more greenwashing mm. or organic washing or whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of disconcerting. But I do love that consumers are becoming so um, smart about yeah. ingredients. And, and you know, the uh, millennial with driving authenticity and transparency was music to our ears. So, um, so some of those changes are just amazing and awesome. You know, the greenwashing and all that, is hard. it's hard to sift through what's real and what's not. Yes, it Very much really so. is. Well, for instance, with packaging, it's, it's funny because, um, uh, you know, the, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, some brands will pop up and they'll say, um, you know, I'll, I'll hear a statistic that will say, um, we, you know, we are saving or we're going to save um, X amount of, um, you know, tons of, of this or that over the next, over the next decade. And so we um, hired some um, Duke University students mm -hmm. <laughs> and just, you know, we actually did the math. And um, so we can say things like um, we've had, you know, we're 2.6 million reduction square inch reduction in paper just this year, oh, you know, by, with our sustainable packaging efforts, or, um, you know, we have avoided the use of three tons of pesticides over the last decade, avoided, not we're going to avoid, we've avoided mm. the use of three tons of pesticides over the last decade, and so on, you know, and 10 tons of synthetic fragrance and so on. So that's, that's exciting for us that, um, you know, we, uh, we can really, you know, it's, it's just, the, the whole sustainability movement is very exciting for packaging. And of course, organic farming is sustainability at, at one of its highest forms because you're avoiding pesticides, mm. um, unnecessary pesticides on the earth and animals and humans. And, you know, it's just all a, it's all a big circle. It really <laughs> is. What changes do you think we can expect to see from the industry over the coming years? I think there'll be a continued focus on sustainability and packaging. Mm -hmm. um, it is interesting to me that, again, consumers have to be really savvy because they'll say, oh, this is in a recycled tube. And, but yet it's, it has um, chemical sunscreen in it that is killing our uh, reefs. Right. And killing your reefs. Yes. You know, in Australia, for God's sake, yeah. you, you guys have the Great Barrier Reef. So, I What's mean, left so of that, it? right, exactly. So that is always interesting to me. Like, why, why would you support that company that is, and I'm you know, not, not picking on anyone in particular, but that has chemical sunscreen in a recycled tube. They can do better, you mm -hmm. know? So um, and we're moving all of our tubes to bioresin um, tubes, which lowers their carbon footprint. So Wonderful. I think there's going to be more um, sustainability, but the consumer does have to be savvy to say, hmm, you know, it does it come full circle or is it their first step or, you know. Yeah, I think they're getting savvy with ingredients and now yes. now that they're at, you know, a good point as far as education goes, it's like, okay, let's, you know, let's take it that step further, which is exciting. It's an exciting it is time. exciting. My final question, what is next for Juice Beauty? Higher and higher efficacy, more research coming out of our Juice Beauty farm, um, cooler and cooler ingredients. Um, uh, you know, we have stood for innovation. We were <clears throat> one of the first, I think we were tied with Chanel for bringing CCs to North America. Wow. Um, and, you know, st the stem cellular technology and skincare, you know, zinc, how we've revolutionized that. And so, you know, we, we plan on staying on the cutting edge. Our, our prebiotics um, collection, mm -hmm. which is protecting the skin microbiome, we, we have an ingestible also in the U.S., but that won't be coming to Australia. But protecting the skin microbiome is so critical. Mm. And, you know, we did that with a prebiotic um, uh, collection of ingredients of viola and fermented bamboo and chia and lactobacillus from coconut. And, oh, my gosh, the aroma is amazing. But the slip and feel, it's a gel moisturizer. And that's coming to uh, Mecca in March. We're very excited. Oh, no, it's there now. What am I talking about? This is June. Yeah, so um, it launched in March. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's so exciting. So our prebiotics um, moisturizer is at Mecca. It's really, you know, pollution protection. 
um, really protecting the skin microbiome because when your skin microbiome, all of the uh, microflora and everything gets out of balance, um, it, you know, you, it, your skin isn't healthy. And it's the perfect moisturizer for, I would say, everyone teens through 40s. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just absolutely perfect. A beautiful gel-like moisturizer. Um, really just, um, and we put kumaru in it, which is an interesting ingredient because it reflects light. It absorbs Ooh. and reflects light. So you get a beautiful luminescence uh, wearing it. So more microbiome technology. We, we uh, uh, worked, boy, a lot following all the research at Stanford's Microbiome Center. And you know, we're, very, we're a science-based brand, so more science, higher efficacy, um, better, skin, better and better skincare all the time. That was Karen Benke, founder and CEO of Juice Beauty, which you can find on Instagram at Juice Beauty. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. Thank you.